All right, cool. So, welcome back, everybody. I'm here with David, and that's me. The two of us are going to uh, maybe talk about some things that game masters can do, folks running games, storytellers, GMs, DMs, those kind of people, those people can do to uh, deal with some issues that we saw come up at the table in our most recent game, This American Monster. Um, Yeah, so we can, since this will come out after that, we can reference whatever from that game so it won't be a spoiler. Yeah, all spoilers. All sp- yeah. Watch a- watch the entire series real fast and then come back mm-hmm. to this. We'll yeah. wait. Pause it. Yeah, pause it here. Right. Wa- listen to that. What oh, is the <laughs> go <ahead>. sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh no. Oh, uh, what was the what was the um GM's name? Was it Keeper? The in... Keeper, as in like the, keeper, the monster yeah. keeper or something like that. The yeah, MC the... in the Apocalypse World games. I feel that's uh is that a Call of Cthulhu reference? Don't also call it keeper. I'm not really sure. I've never called Cthulhu really. I don't know. It might that might be the case, but I do not know. Um, I know. I in, really get a lot of Call of Cthulhu vibes from this game, so it's kind of weird. So I, I fully expect me to be wrong there, but yeah, I'm not super familiar with. I've played like a board game that was Call of Cthulhu, like adjacent, um, but I forget what it was even called at this point. Yeah, I guess the game was kind of Call of Cthulhu with their expansions. Yeah, I never played the actual role-playing game. No. Although I use percentage based. That's about all I know. And it's scary. All right. Well, um, on the issues, well, then should we get into differing visions of tone since we kind of talked about you did not getting a ton of Call of Cthulhu from that game? Oh, yeah. Hey. What sure. an accidental uh, bridge for that. Okay, well, in our debrief where we talked with all the players, we talked about the difference in tone of the game and how you had said that you felt it was more of like a Buffy-type situation and it was supposed to be more of like a silly B-movie, bad UPN, CW show, um, and it ended up being more serious. Um, Mm -hmm. So how can somebody work to uh, get that tone kind of hammered hammered out or hammered down. Um, yeah, and that, that I think is the, uh, if any game goes wrong, which I don't think this one did at all, but if any game goes horribly wrong, I feel it's, it can, you can kind of pinpoint it back in time to the, you didn't discuss tone enough or something. Like people had different ideas of this game going on and then, they ended up fighting over what it was. Um, thankfully, we got that nailed down pretty quickly, I think, in the run, for me at least. But yeah, I think, th- so there's a there's a few tools that I know of. I'm sure you know of some too, but um, I know my favorite that I try to do, but not always uh, for longer games is the, the CATS acronym. Not only adorable, but um, it stands for Concept, Aim, Tone, and Subject Matter. And to briefly go through those, just like concept is the the general pitch. Like you would, if you were seeing this TV show, like the one sentence description, the aim kind of, here's what we're trying to do. Like what kind of feelings we're trying to, uh, you know, um, 
convey or what kind of like uh, media like TV shows or movies we're trying to kind of emulate or reference at least uh, and tone would be, you know, is it really funny? Is it dark and scary? Is it um, action adventure? Is it pulpy? You know, uh, so everyone's kind of on the same page there. And then the last one, subject matter is kind of just in case um, something could be really rough for anybody, you know, like a, a trigger thing or something like a, Oh, we're going to deal with um, uh, taking out people's eyeballs. I know uh, one eyed Jim over here. This might not be the game for you. Just letting you know, are you okay with that? Oh yeah. And he gives a wink and we know that it's good to go. And then it turns out he was just blinking. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, he was holding back a tear because he felt <laughs> he felt he couldn't stand in the way of uh, what his friends had wanted to do, and the whole time <laughs> he's upset. <laughs> right, and uh, yeah, um, obviously Austin will uh, link the uh, the the page to the cat's original thing. I in the, will the show link notes, it to the course. <laughs> I will link it to the Wikipedia page for Cats, the Broadway musical. Beautiful butthole okay. version or not? Uh, the Broadway version. Different, different winks there. Yeah. But um, yeah, so you kind of do the, that. You go through all of them kind of at the before you start playing or the, like, you know, the beginning session or something or session zero, perhaps. Uh, and then everyone's on this kind of same page. You can ask your questions then like, oh, what do you what do you mean by taking out eyeballs? Is it, you know, um, whole eyeballs intact or do you just take out the goo? Can you explain this more? And yeah. Then, uh, Everyone's on the same page when you play. I think that first, I think that that st stuff can be useful. And this bleeds into the idea of a session zero, where you're kind of usually making your characters, coming up with some stuff for the setting. We have that. I have to find it. Um, that's one <laughs> thing I have not edited at all, actually, is that session zero. I have to piece through that and see if there's any long digressions that need to be removed. Um, and uh, I think that that, the cat stuff can help build a foundation in that session zero that you're going to have. The problem that I run into is um, I am a person who loves to joke around and just like really go as far as possible with jokes. And so if somebody else makes a joke and we ran into this even in the L5R game, and you would get annoyed with me at times about this. If somebody else makes a joke, I'm not also going to make a joke. And so then we have the problem of like, it's a bunch of those going on, and the, whatever we're doing gets lighter or sillier or more irreverent or just grosser. Um, yeah. What do you mean grosser? Like, uh, like we gross were jokes? Yeah, like where the <clears throat> jokes just get more and more disgusting, uh, more and more scatological. We were talking about um, in the Demi-Humans game, we were talking about my character like pumping water out of this well and the idea of how in the past it had been this pristine well that like looked like this Venetian thing that just poured clear water out of it. And now it's like a well that you have to pump. And it's the water's all dirty. And you're like, yeah, you're just there squirting dirt water. And once you said that, then that opened the floodgates where it's like, okay, <laughs> well, now I have to make six diarrhea jokes. And so if As other people... If other people joke around, I'm going to jump into that. And so in, in a game when I'm running it, it becomes even more difficult to stay on whatever tone we're supposed to. Because if somebody else makes a joke, I, as the person who's probably, if I'm running the game, most responsible for maintaining that tone, 
will absolutely be like, oh, you made it. You made one jizz joke. Now, I guess I got to <laughs> I got to get in. I got to get in here and jizz it up, too. And so I really got to finish them off. Wink. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you'll have a load of these. And so <laughs> um, now we got a mess on our hands. So <laughs> the, the it's like that becomes tough. And I think kind of getting things back in, it also became difficult because in this game, there were two characters that were, and at times three, uh, <laughs> you know what? Fuck all you guys. No, the, um, no, that like dark. Let's restart player, this with better players. Yeah. I think the problem was you. Um, <laughs> I think like dark blades character, Alex's character, Darkblade, was very clearly like kind of a comic relief character through a lot of what was going on. He had a few more serious moments um, where he tried to be like more serious with Addie. He tried to have he had kind of a serious moment uh, with his mom when she was being held hostage. He had some serious moments with Matlock. Um, but otherwise, his character was just crazy the whole like through most of the game saying just nutso stuff the whole time. And so it was tough to maintain the tone when we're supposed to be doing something serious and addressing these serious issues. And meanwhile, you have a guy who's like, I take a puff on my clove cigarette and I whip out my <laughs> shotgun from under my under my fedora. trench coat. Yeah. Under my trench coat, and I tip my fedora down and say, <laughs> "All right, you lizard people, it's time to suck these eggs or something weird yeah. like that." And you're like, "Okay, this could be really, really funny." It's just like at times moves us away from what we're doing. Ashton also was kind of comic reliefy at points, for sure. Yeah, was, yeah, where it's like, what what happens? Well, Ashton's like he's nervous, and then he he he's confused, and he drops the thing that he's holding, and that stuff didn't bother me too much. The stuff with Darkblade was a little bit more difficult at times. Um, but those aspects, I think even in a more serious thing, you can have kind of comic relief and that silliness. Um, there were bigger times where I think the tone kind of changed up. Mm-hmm. So, and I can get into that, but I feel like I've been talking for a lot. I don't know if you have any things you wanted to hop in on. Um, yeah, I mean, this this is tricky because I was a, the player, so and we're trying to do GM advice. But yeah, I remember at the beginning I was as 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 Ashton. Nope, let me do that again. As As Ashton, Asperg. Yes, that's the one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that's the take we need. Uh, yeah, I was kind of trying to. I think I said this in the other one too, like channeling like Jerry from the office mixed with like Morty from Rick and Morty. So like a, a bumbling kind of terrible office person, but your office job is to hunt monsters as a kind of a, exactly like you said, like a comic relief kind of person, which uh, was funny, I think at first for me at least, but then as I kind of realized the tone more, I was like, Oh, this, this character is not working very well. And then I, I think near the end went almost the, the opposite way of, Oh, well, he's going to be a badass now. What what growth? And I was like, well, you're kind of just still playing a comical stereotype of like an action hero. So I don't know if I exactly got it perfect at any point, but I'm like, ah, man, how do I do this character right in this setting? It was it was kind of challenging that way, but hopefully it's entertaining. But yeah, Dark Blade especially was was a tough, uh, I don't know, nut to crack, I guess. I don't know. I think eventually he got... Um, like more onto the tone, but 
again, like you said, it's not the worst to have a like a kind of comic relief character in a you know some some media that you're watching. But yeah, for this tone, it was it was very off tone sometimes, but still honestly hilarious many times. Um, and those things weren't those things weren't that bad going back and listening to the episodes as many times as I have, I may scrutinize <laughs> them a little bit more, but there were some scenes where we would have the issue of um, the tone being affected by essentially us. It would have been served better. And I think this could help people. If the person running the game has a very specific way that this is supposed to feel, if you just flat out say it, um, there was a scene in the fourth mystery where uh, beetle demons have uh, possessed this old couple. Um, the deal is these beetle demons are going to eat out the insides of this old couple, use them as like uh, places to incubate. And then uh, even more of them are going to go into other people. If these old people die, the demon doesn't care. Um, and the demon is essentially immortal. So whatever you do to these old people, a, the demon doesn't care and you can't really kill this thing. So it, and yet we have a situation where the old folks, the hosts of this demon have been kind of captured and dark blade and sundry in the back of this van kind of interrogating them. And mm -hmm. the scene went on for a while. And what I should have just said is here's the tone with this because it just kept being Dark Blade saying, like, you don't even know what we're going to be able to do to you. And these demons kind of saying, like, like, oh, like just being not phased. Mm -hmm. But I should have just said, like, oh, this expresses to you, Alex, this is the impression you get. This is the idea you get. Like, you're, you're not scaring these things. You're not blah, blah, blah. I should have just said that flat out. Instead, it kind of went on for a while. And we had... Um, almost imagine in a bad in a bad action movie the hero and the bad guy like throwing <laughs> quips back and forth at each other but just like like looks like you came to the wrong side of town this this side of town is my side of town and it's not big enough for the two of us big you're going to you're going <laughs> to like you you're not going to know what you're not going to know the meaning of the word big till you see these guns and then he flexes and the other guy just says like like guns looks like you brought biceps to a gunfight and they're just going back and forth and back and <laughs> forth and back and forth. But that goes on for 15 minutes. Yeah. And in a Tim and Eric bit, that would be hilarious where they would just keep going back and forth, but it would be rapid fire and yeah. it would be nuts and crazy in something that's supposed to be serious where you have like, um, a in like an, an actual action movie. That would be mm -hmm. awful. Like a taken yes. movie. It's like, what what's happening get out of here yeah i have a certain set of skills you don't know anything liam neeson well believe me i do i have i know a lot of things no no you don't you don't know what we're doing <laughs> i used to i got a lot of skills and you don't even know about them you don't know what's going it's just just back and forth and back and forth and you, i should have oh. just i should have stopped it and just basically said this is what you're getting out of this like if you have anything past that or if you want to reflect on your character's feelings but instead I kind of let it go on. And so I think if you have feelings about a scene in advance, let your players know. And if you have feelings about a scene and this is, this means different things, whether you're recording the sessions or not recording the sessions, 
if the scene mm -hmm. starts to go in a direction and you're like, this is off tone, as shitty as it is, just flat out say it like you're talking with these things and you're throwing these quips back and forth. And at first, you know, you've thought you were really you were going through the motions of uh, being a tough guy and going through this. And then you realize this other person is absolutely not phased by what you're saying and nothing you say is going to get through to them or whatever it might be, or like you're saying these things, but you realize you're talking to the Terminator and the Terminator can throw <laughs> out these kind of quips, but has no emotions to get scared or something like that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, I think, I think something that happened. It wasn't, it wasn't a matter of like the tone being broken because certain things were too funny, but I think Alex and Lee perhaps had one vision of how that conversation was going. And I had a different one and I to be consistent with what the characters were, I should have just told them that this is what's going on here. Yeah, that that's actually a really uh, like important skill to kind of pick up eventually. Like it took me a long fucking time or a long dang time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're cursing here. I but, talked about um, jizz earlier. You're good. That's true. Um, it takes a long time of fucking before the jizz comes out sometimes. No, not for me. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> that's my own problem. <laughs> but um, no, it took me a long time to realize this this like really important skill kind of uh that you're you're describing too but um like the scene setting power of like gms is like something that you have in every game and it's something that um i feel like i ignore way too much but you generally get to set the scene um and when you're setting that you can kind of guide how the mood is it's like um oh there's you know it's a it's dark and gray outside. It's raining. Um, it's cold. You can feel your breath is like kind of sets a mood and you can just say that and also just be unsubtle about it. And just like, um, you're feeling really depressed. Like this is a depressing time. Like you have no idea what's going to happen here or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of how, how to set that scene that you're just saying like, Oh, this, this person's sitting across from you and they, have a blank stare on their face. They they don't even care what you're about to say. Like all emotion, all humanity is gone from their face. Like you can set that scene up ahead of time to kind of try to guide the the tone of each scene, you know? And it's a thing that I always forget to use, but it's like a very powerful tool that GMs can use. And in some games, like the players get to use it, which is really interesting too. But I, again, always forget to use that. And it's such a good, like important thing to use to set the tone of each scene, you know? Yeah, um, I think the hesitance with some of that comes down to like, oh, well, I don't want to tell the players what their characters are feeling. Um, I just honestly, am like, fuck that. Like, uh, yeah, this is, this is how you feel. <laughs> or you I feel think, something like this, or, you know. I think I'm now more in that boat. It's tough to do it at times with people to just flat out tell them that. But if you just say, this is a creepy thing. Like, sure, your character might be the, the toughest cowboy out here, but when you wander into his... Sorry, hold on. Sorry, I hope they won that drag race. Oh, I was going to say, so your, your plumbing has to go through a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, uh, serious <laughs> trouble if uh, somebody has diarrhea that bad. The, um, Sorry about that. No. Uh, but, yeah, you, like, you're, this, you, your character might be the toughest cowboy out in the out in the old west but once you go into graveyard gulch like even you have a chill that runs through your bones like like you can still set that scene that way 
And so the character can still try to be tough, but you can just kind of re-emphasize that stuff. So even if, and in a way you can kind of, for an audience, this becomes more of a big thing. And if you're recording it, you can kind of change up what the audience hears, because if you're saying the character, when you have the, if the player still just doesn't act any differently and they're just still the toughest cowboy out in the West, and you're saying like, no matter what, even as you say these words, you know, like this stuff is blah, blah, blah. The character, the player might not have the character change their behavior in the slightest, but by you giving that narration or that, I don't want to say exposition, but that kind of narration of what's going on below the surface, it still paints a bigger picture. It's just tough to do that stuff. And there were um, numerous times where I wish I had done it more. Yeah. And um, I think I I'm trying to do it uh, way, way more um, now that I've kind of realized it, but I think uh, a few times too, um, I've kind of done that and the players have kind of pushed back a little like, Oh, well, that chill down my spine, you know, I just, you know, furrow my brow and move on. Like this doesn't bother me really, or at least, you know, putting the outward appearance that it doesn't like I've been here before. It's fine. Which is also cool. It gives kind of the player kind of um, some like a, I don't know, permission or opportunity to kind of show how their character acts differently than another you know, character would in this situation. So it kind of works and it gets it's, I think it still gets the message across. Like this is scary. This is going to be a scary scene. You're going to, maybe you're the bravest person ever, but this is scary to every other person. Even you feel like that tingle in your spine, you know? So I think it, there's no, it, I know it's hard to be like, your character feels this way, but I've never felt that, uh, I don't know. I've never had any character or any player, I should say, um, say like this, this is an egregious wrong. My uh, character would never feel this way. How dare you even impose mm -hmm. yourself like this? As long as you, you kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess I've never gone really hard on it. Like, well, you jump off the cliff because you're, you're, <laughs> you're so sad or something like that. As long as you give kind of paint, paint like uh, impressionistic pictures of your basic emotions or something. I think that's maybe the the secret of that. Just go as general as possible and let the player fill in the details if they want of how it affects them specifically. Maybe that's the advice here. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that could be pretty good. Just making sure that I think honestly, just being flat out and being blunt with that stuff more often than not, uh, really really does help and um especially if you're if you're not recording the thing <laughs> it really doesn't it really doesn't matter uh if you say like hey guys this scene is supposed to be really scary and so even if we joke around and fool around and whatnot at the table the stuff that the characters do they should still be very scared of what's happening um i think it doesn't it doesn't harm you in the slightest like you're not it's not the situation of um, you can't just have the characters come out and say how they feel. That makes me feel angry. Like that line from <laughs> Futurama where he's criticizing right. the opera that Fry produces. It's not that. Like if you were recording the thing, you might cut that part out. So then we're all mm. on board, but that's out. But if you're just at the table, 
you're at the table, just say, you know, this is supposed to be a scary thing. And your characters are really having a hard time getting through this haunted house where every shadow seems like it's a threat and makes you jump and every noise startles you. Um, every time you turn around and see one of your friends, you're not sure if it's them and you have, you do the horror movie like, oh, 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 and it's like, oh, Debbie, are you okay? And she's like, oh, sorry. I thought I, I thought I saw something else, Gregory. Like that kind <laughs> of a thing is, is going on. And I think just being blunt about it, because if you say that stuff early on in session zero or in the cat stuff, it's still easy to get lost as you do it. And that the game mm -hmm. that we played most recently was, um, again, if it was two dozen sessions total only, I would be wildly shocked. I think it pushes more towards 30, um, if not more than that, let mm -hmm. alone the additional extra stuff that we would cut in here or there because somebody couldn't make it to the recording or we had to redo something or we wanted to add something on. So like somewhere near 30, at some point you're going to kind of forget that we had talked about those earlier things. And then I think that tone can be readjusted by just saying flat out, like, you know, you enter this house and this is a haunted house. That's how like everything here is scary. Yeah. And that's, uh, um, yeah. It's like, I, I can go into this other thing, but no, cut that out. Um, no, that's a really good point. Like, as the games get longer in the tooth, maybe like revisit it is something I've never done, but not a bad idea, I guess. It's like, hey, do we still feel this tone, this, you know, concept, aim, tone, subject matter is, do we want to re revisit that or is it changing or what have you? Well, speaking of uh, things getting long in the tooth, beavers. Now, um, one of the things we wanted to talk about was the pacing of mysteries. Mm -hmm. Are you you good to switch into that gear? Yeah. Okay. So I'll let I'll let you be right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Jardia is an issue that is uh, <laughs> uh, affects water supplies. Uh, I'll let you go ahead. You take the lead on this one. Um, yeah, you kind of touch on this in that probably released over a year ago at this point, but your uh, murder mystery GM advice little snippet. Oh yeah. <laughs> Shit. You all remember that. Yeah, we're recording these before <laughs> we're recording these recording this before any of the This American Monster episodes have been released and recording this before the GM advice episodes that came out in late June, early July of 2021 have been released. So who knows as you're <laughs> cruising through the wasteland in your hover tank <laughs> listening to this uh, because it's the only <laughs> thing that the government will allow you to listen to. Um, All yeah. other podcasts are illegal. This one's fine. Well, this is actually considered a religious text is the weird mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> but not the religion you're thinking of. Mm -hmm. It's the other one. <laughs> the worst one. There's, there's two. There's only two. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think... Uh, let's see, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, the mysteries are really tricky, like you kind of touched on there because it's a pacing issue. You kind of touch on this there. It's um, how fast do you want the um, kind of central tension of what, what, what's the answer? What's happening? What, where am I? Like, what's this strange thing going on? And the, the unknown is like, so interesting and, you know, compelling, I guess, as a story that you kind of want to keep it as much as, as long as possible. But, um, 
also role-playing games, it like inherently kind of um, goes against that kind of thing because uh, you know, the players have like, you're not watching a movie where you have no control over how fast you will, the characters will learn the answer to the mystery as the players, you're like actively doing it. So there's um, more control, but also possibly more frustration over it. Um, if you're not getting the answers that you need fast enough. And I think the, this system in particular, the uh, monster of the week kind of fights against that pacing too, because it has like, we kind of talked about in the, the player round table, the, um, that move that, um, was it like investigative mystery or something that just kind of gives you answers based on how well you roll. So it's, um, I can like thinking of it from the GM or the keeper perspective. It's, I feel it's gotta be so difficult to run this game because you want to kind of prolong that interesting, compelling mystery to keep it going longer, but also these, this one particular move makes it shorter as you go on. So it's, like the pacing I feel is really, really tricky, especially for, for mystery kind of theme things. I don't know there's an answer to that. I'm just bringing it up. <laughs> but how did you deal with that, Austin? You kind of went into it a little bit, but it's so, gotta be really tricky. Yeah, that there was some there was some trouble with that stuff. I think as I said in the earlier um in Psalm 25, <laughs> uh, no, as I said in that other thing, usually being more blunt is better. Than being less like like less clear and less obvious. Usually, giving more information is better than giving less. Um, in part because the characters will still think up a crazy way to like get into a debacle as you go through it and create additional obstacles for themselves. Um, I saw a meme that was like in a role playing game, an old couple says hello to you. Like you're like, whoa, what's their deal? Meanwhile, like a, a demon with goat hooves tells you to come over here and you're like, okay, let's, let's, let's do this. Um, they'll always <laughs> be just play out. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember back to uh, that star Wars game years and years and years, decade ago or more now, oh it's like an old man walks by and, and uh, one of the characters, like my hand goes to my lightsaber. And it's like, this mm -hmm. is an old man who walked by. He was a piece of set dressing. Um, I'm glad you said that. I was going to bring up that reference without giving any mm -hmm. context to it. Yeah. Good work. Um, I do think that this game had a mechanic to push the story along. And it is exactly like you said, that investigate a mystery move, because if all else fails, I can do that move to find some kind of piece of information. Now, at times we got a little loosey goosey with how you were using it, not you specifically, but like how the players were using it, where it was just like, mm -hmm. can I do an investigate a mystery move? And that always like stabbed me a little bit in the heart where I'm like, okay, so now we're just going straight to the moves and ignoring the fiction. Instead, mm -hmm. it's, it's supposed to be, I am doing this thing to investigate a mystery. And then based on that, I make a role. And from this, I can figure out these things. So I think one way you could slow that down, if that's what you want to do, is to say, based on how you're investigating this, you can't figure it that you can only answer these questions. And so you could say like, like, okay, I'm just messing around at the crime scene, totally looking, CSIing it at the crime scene can give you these three answers, like can answer these three questions. You get to ask two of them because you did well on that role. Which of those two do you want to answer? 
do you want an answer to? Like the other ones, what's its weakness? You don't know. You haven't, you don't even know what the fuck it is. So yeah. like, like that kind of a deal. And I think that that, the thing with that is you need to beforehand, and it deals with those triggers, like you were saying, like what triggers the move? How are you going about doing this? In the same way that if I'm like, I want to help uh, so-and-so on their role. Well, they're casting a magical spell. How do you do that? Uh, well, I help them with the spell. How do you help them with the spell? Mm -hmm. like, you don't know anything about magic. You don't have any of the components that was said were necessary for the spell. And you're not, like you're busy fighting the uh, the the guards. How do you possibly manage to help them? Like there should be times where it's like you're not able to get to this. Now, if instead you say like I stop fighting with the guards and I run and act as a conduit physically between them and this thing, so they're touching it more now or something like that, or I whatever it might be, um, then that could work out. But you have to change it up narratively as to what's going on. So if you wanted to slow that process down, I think that's something you could do. The other thing that we ran into, and I think this was part of the disagreement you and I had early on <laughs> in how that investigative mystery thing works. I think that the answers to those questions can change over time. The ob most obvious one is, where is it? Well, if it's a thing that moves around, it's not necessarily in the same place. So you ask, where where is it? And you go and you fight it, and then it runs away. Well, now the where is it question is relevant again because it's not right in that same spot. Um, what is its weakness? There's a chance that perhaps the monster in some kind of way could adapt to doing that. And now that's not its weakness anymore. Um, it's gotten used to that. It's, it's, uh, it's prepared itself in some kind of way. Um, so there's that kind of stuff. I also... would try to like dole based on how you guys were finding the information out i would say here's a piece of this and so later on it felt like i was only giving you partial information which was true i was but it was based on like okay you're investigating in this way you can get an answer to what kind of creature is this or what can it do but only based on this information from what's narratively happening in this way that you're investigating this and I think if you want the stuff to run really quick, like if you want to run Monster of the Week as a each mystery is one or two sessions, just go full bore. Hey, man, it's a vampire. You can tell because blah, 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 blah. Tell me how you guys figure out that you know this is a vampire for sure. I already gave you that info. What's something else? And you're like, oh, well, they knocked over this bowl of garlic and... Um, <laughs> Uh, threw it out the window. That was the first thing that the, we saw. Uh, what what else? It's projectile two, vomited everywhere. Yeah, there's two bite marks on the person's neck. It's like really obvious. Um, there's a there's a there was a recording in the room, and you kept hearing blah blah. <laughs> like okay, well that's a vampire for sure. Um, so that that kind of stuff. Um, but if you don't want it to run that quickly, you can do some of those other things. But I think I wasn't as used to that system. And I should have told you guys that's what's going on. And again, like being kind of upfront and honest is difficult at times because you want to, a lot of the times it's just you assume everyone is on the same page that you are. And so I assumed you guys were cool with how I was doing it. And when you weren't as cool and you were getting frustrated, I was like, what the fuck? How could you not understand that? I'm obviously running this game I've never run before exactly the right way. <laughs> um so I think 
being kind of upfront and saying, hey, if you're doing it this way, you can only get answers to these questions or you can do this and I'm going to give you partial information about this stuff. Um, I would also suggest it in that running mysteries, like try to reward people with some additional other information and even just tell them that's not the full picture. Like just be very clear that that's not the full picture. You don't have the full thing of this, but you know um, whatever it, you don't know, it's a vampire for sure. But uh, you can tell that what whatever it is, it seems to have drained this person of all their blood. Yeah. Um, and I, I wish I thought of this when we we're actually playing this, but hopefully you you listeners, if you do the uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games, I remember, I, I think Robert Bull in Demihumans suggested this. Um, but if you're doing one of these read moves, like read a person or investigate a mystery, you know, um, and, and the GM or MC or whatever keeper tells you that you've triggered it. Um, it's a really good, smart idea to be like, what question are you running with? Like, what's your question? Like, uh, if you're doing like before you roll, you know? So if you were like, okay, I'm trying to find, let's see, based on this list, their weakness, then the GM could come back and be like, well, you're looking at a bloody alley. Why would you get, that's obviously not a question you can ask that there's no weakness that's going to be, you know, in this situation. Is there another question you might want to try to be asking based on this move? You're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe where's it going? It's like, okay, that, that one works. And you got really well. Yeah. It's going this way. You can see the blood trail or whatever, you know? So would you say, would you say to do that almost before, like before they make the role to say like, Hey, if that's what you're really looking for and you're only going to be interested in that, maybe don't bother making this role because you wouldn't be able to find it out. Um, yeah, I think when, you know, the trigger of the move happens, I think the the keeper in this case can be, okay, which, you're obviously triggering investigative mystery, I think. Which of the uh, questions do you think you're, you're, I forget the term that, that they use in that book, but like running with or something. And it's like, oh, this one. And then that's the time when you can say, well, I don't think that, this situation really would help with that question. Is there another one that would work or do you think you're not triggering the move really? And do you think that that helps to set up to like, uh, to set player expectations of like, I wanted to find out how, what the weakness of this thing is. I know I won't be able to find that out. So I'm aware of it and I'm not going to ask the question and then just get told I can't later. Like I already know in advance, I'm not going to be able to find that out very likely. Yeah. I, I feel like kind of helps cut off that possible frustration point you know and like thinking of it now it's like oh obviously i should have suggested that but that would have helped probably a lot but i didn't think of it then but you know, i'm pretty sure demi humans kind of makes that really smart suggestion okay yeah that might i i don't know if that it's probably based on the whatever play group you're going with whatever role-playing group you're going with but that might be better than um well, you can only ask one or two out of these six options or something, you know? Yeah. But both could work, obviously. Yeah, I think I think in general, with both of the topics we've talked about, like kind of setting those expectations and putting that stuff out there initially is is helpful because if the other person has a problem with it, you can negotiate it before you're in the midst of things. And then like once the once the person has made a role, they feel it's going to sound so like 
this is going to sound almost weird, but once a person has made a role, they feel entitled to the results of that role. And according to like the mechanics of the system, they are. If you work out the like, here are the limitations of that in advance before they make the role, I think that that is probably better because that sets those expectations beforehand. And it's like, you're not going to be able to find out as much from this, but you'll find something else out in this other way. And I think that is better than the person makes the role and they have this question and you say, well, actually now you can't answer that. And they're like, well, I feel I already know where the thing is and what kind of creature it is. I want to know its weakness. And you're telling me I can't find that. And they're getting, and I think that was some of the disagreement that we had some, some part of that early on. And I think the setting those expectations earlier would have helped. Yeah, for sure. That makes total sense. I, I totally agree with you, especially as a like powered by the apocalypse person personally who've played like a lot of different ones of them, you know, aficionado. There we go. I for sure. Um, at, in those early games, when I was doing the, uh, investigate a mystery, I think, or whatever, I'm like, excuse me, I can't get this question answered. It's in the moves, Austin. What the fuck? So yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I feel that was the case for sure. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And if I had set those expectations, I think that that would have been we would have had that discussion beforehand and then made the role. And so that would have been worked out rather than I made this role. Why don't I now? So I yeah. think that, but cool. yeah, so future runners of this game, take note, take note, take heed fools for <laughs> you. Okay. Um, anything else you want to talk about on that one? Oh, uh, no, that was pretty good. Unless. Yeah. With, with these games in general, if you have a big plot that's going on in the background, um, it always, one thing that's always tough, and I address this in that Running Mysteries, if you have a big plot that's going on in the background, you know, like, I mean, you're you're doing these investigations, and in our case, a, a demon was convincing um, this Lex Luthor-esque corporate uh, mogul to kind of, like, do that demon's bidding uh, unbeknownst to her. Uh, that was going on in the background. If you've got that stuff and it's already built up, throw in big clues way earlier. Uh, I think I, I would, if I knew what the mist, the big plot was going to be earlier on, I would have given you guys way more clues about it. Um, Austin, I have a master's in writing. And let me tell you, the term for that is foreshadowing foreshadowing there you go so the foreshadowing it's a very technical much, term yeah uh the um <laughs> I, thought when, <laughs> I thought foreshadowing was when uh, peter Payne's uh shadow gets a uh, circumcision um, i knew it was gonna happen yeah so i saw they, that joke coming i love it ah, foreshadowing so the <laughs> if i had known what that bigger plot was going to be I would have done more of that foreshadowing earlier on. The thing was, I didn't know what the plot was till somewhere in the third mystery. And then I decided, oh, okay, well, we've got this shadowy figure in the form of Mr. Heck, and we've got this kind of morally dubious uh, corporation. Obviously, those two things should be connected to one another. Who's the head of this corporation? It's Jessica Lore. She thinks that she's doing all this amazing stuff for humanity. What if she's actually just being manipulated by this demon? So, but that didn't come to me till the third session, session, third mystery. And um, 
So I had sprinkled in little things here and there of like, this company's sneaky. There's weird things going on in this company. There's these shadowy things, but it was so broad and so vague that uh, it it feels like the the mystery, some of those things weren't foreshadowed earlier and it was because they didn't exist earlier. And if they had existed, I feel I should have really hammered it home at like, okay, the end of the first mystery, um, Woker, you discover that, no, uh, Roberta Hellinger isn't in a rehab facility where they're checking up on her. She's in this like thing where she's a test subject. Uh, that's what's going on. And if you bring up anything about that, you're basically told by the company like, hey, shut up or else. Yeah. So, okay. Um, that, that is really interesting. Uh, first of all, but yeah, so I guess my advice would be, um, and I can relate this to Doyce, the, the D and D one that's already completely, uh, put out mm -hmm. at this point, everyone's already listened to it. It was crazy so, at the end when, um, Oh my God, I can't when, believe when, it. When, when Ser Serafina <laughs> and, uh, and Granick the green got married. That so beautiful. It was, it was an interesting <laughs> ceremony. So that one was, was a little different, obviously, because I was working from a module that's already all like, I know, I knew the whole plot from the beginning, but there's three main kind of a uh, situations going on, or like end kind of things. There's the the orcs that are happening that are trying to summon this boar god. There's the uh, undead um, dwarves that are worshiping like the god of greed. And there's the dragon, obviously. So the dragon is definitely going to happen no matter what. And the orc and the dwarves thing, um, I didn't know which path that uh, Marisa was, Serafina was ultimately going to take, but I still put in foreshadowing, knowing, um, you know, that she's going to do one of them. Um, and since she ultimately didn't go down the uh, the undead dwarf path, um, hopefully, I don't know, maybe, maybe someone can... Uh, give me different perspective on this, but it just seems now like, Oh, interesting set dressing. What are these? Oh, there's a old dwarf cult here. That's interesting. Sure. Whatever. It's kind of a dead end, but now it just seems like interesting setting detail instead of, you know, foreshadowing what's about to happen. Like that's the worst case scenario. You never end up going down that road, but it's still kind of, Oh, interesting. Cool. Whatever. That's a cool detail. So I, I feel you should never, I guess, ultimately what I'm trying to say is, you should never feel scared about foreshadowing stuff that might not come up. If, mm -hmm. if you have like even the, the tiniest inkling that it could eventually get there, just throw it in, just throw in little yeah. dumb details. And you can always have something go on with that in the background. If you mm -hmm. wanted to, if it's like, okay, this is a path we didn't go down. We never addressed it. We never really dealt with it, but I brought it up. You can always have something go on with it where later on, um, uh, maybe they can't go to this place because these undead dwarves scared them or they don't have the help from these guardsmen because these guardsmen are dealing with these undead dwarves or that kind of thing. And like, you can just say like, we don't have to deal with this. Something's going on over there. Um, the, the fear I would have of that was what happened with the Ryoko Ninja in the L5R game where it's like, we got into it just enough where it had to be resolved um, but it never really went anywhere. And so then I just quickly wrapped it up at the end. And I felt mm. like, man, I should have just told you guys out, out of character, 
don't worry about that. That'll be something going on in the background. Uh, just ignore it or should have wrapped that shit up really, really quickly because it didn't seem to, I think there, also there factor, wasn't a lot of payoff. I feel also a factor working against you is ninjas are very compelling. So it's like, Ooh, let's, let's focus on that. Cool. Yeah. Ninjas are kind of interesting, but thankfully, thankfully in, in Doyce dwarves are boring as fuck. So uh, yes. <laughs> Gimli more like Gim lame. <laughs> Cool. But, yeah, that makes that was pretty good. Yeah, the foreshadowing stuff. Always good. And I feel even if you leave, um, I guess to put a cap on this, even if you leave uh, loose ends, I don't really feel like that's the worst. Because I mean, not not recording yet. But um, game wise, we've revisited um, campaigns or stuff that we've done before, like taking a break and then done the sequel to kind of cover up or not cover up, but revisit like the loose ends that we left. And it's, those have been some of my favorite games, like that apocalypse world game that I started off and then you did the sequel to, uh, that was one of my favorite games. It was really interesting. All the, the weird stuff that I left on the table and you kind of took it and ran with it in a different way. That's always interesting. It's always kind of leaves the door open, especially if any of these are, you know, super interesting. We want to revisit them. So I, I say, Loose ends, totally fine. Don't worry about it. Foreshadow till your heart's content. Well, speaking of that, I'll try to do another transition that way. <laughs> so this is what I talked about with describing consequences. Mm -hmm. And I guess another way to say this would be setting the stakes. Mm -hmm. Because there were several times in the this American Monster game where I felt like we had these stakes that were so high and then we got scared of where they would go. And so we backed off, but we had created something in the fictional world that really got kind of just ignored, where it was like, oh, this big, crazy thing happened. Like, wait, nobody wants to talk about why that happened or what the consequences of that would be. Um, and so uh, I wanted to talk about that idea of setting the stakes when you run into a situation where you particularly when you think you, yeah, of just setting the stakes. And I, I, I realize what I'm going to say is somewhat redundant to the earlier thing, because oftentimes you think the other person and you are on the same page, but almost just maybe assume that not everybody at the table is on the same page and maybe set some of these stakes. So like, okay, well, you're going, um, you're going to walk across this tightrope. Like, are you, like, keep in mind, if you fall off this tightrope, you're going to die. Like, you're going to die. If you fall off this tightrope, you're going to die. So do you want to get on this tightrope? And, like, really kind of put that out there. Um, I know who runs the Dungeon World Basics podcast? What's that guy's name? He's one of the Gauntlet guys. Oh, um, Jason. That sounds right. Something. <laughs> Jason Cordova. That sounds about right. He had said that with um, in Dungeon World. It's like, okay, well, there's a horde of a hundred goblins. All right, I'm going to fight them. You cannot fight a horde of a hundred goblins. It doesn't matter that you're the beefiest fighter in town. If you run into that horde of goblins, it will overwhelm you and you'll die. So mm -hmm. you have to get 
away from them or stop them in some other way. Uh, and I think we had some issues with this stuff. And they brought up a thing that Carl hates when they when it comes up in games, which is the cops. And so in there were two big situations where I think the consequences of what was happening, I, you guys were in a position that was really tough. And the way we got out of that position kind of, I never felt satisfied with it. And I never felt satisfied of, with how I addressed it later. Um, and I think if I had gone through the consequences with you guys earlier, that could have been better dealt with. Mm -hmm. And those two situations are, um, one was the bathroom battle in the, uh -huh. in the third mystery when you guys are in the, uh, I have that every, every day or two. Yeah. Well, I heard, I heard that noise earlier <laughs> in, the, in the recording. Um, yeah. When you guys were in the Palm coast, uh, natural history museum, and you ended up in a fight with those cops who were like mesmerized by this vampire. So that was the first one. The second one, unfortunately you weren't there for, but it was when um, those two old folks who'd been possessed by that demon, the mm -hmm. PCs showed up, beat the hell out of these old people who were possessed oh, by God. this demon. And wow. then like basically kind of like, like grabbed them to bring them back to the lore corporation office to try to study, study them or whatever it was. Vivisect them. Vivisect them. Yeah. Like Dr. Moreau style. Um, you know, talk like Marlon Brando for a bit. Uh, they, in both of those situations, I feel that we ran into the problem of, well, this is a game and it's kind of an action-y, action-packed thing and we want this to be fun. So they sh the characters should be able to do this crazy stuff. And I agree with that. However, if there's any internal reality to the game or internal logic to the world that we're in, at times that needs to not happen. Some of the craziness is you're fucking dealing with vampires. Like that's the crazy part. The crazy part doesn't also need to be, and then I parkour out of this building and <laughs> um, like uh, jump off of a car and use its additional momentum to really punch a guy as hard as I possibly can, <laughs> adding the force of what I just, both my parkour powers and the car's accelerate, like that gets nuts. In that bathroom battle, you guys were in a situation and I, I, add, I tacked on a, a piece at the end of this, which was like, man, you could kind of tell the, the expectations that some of the players had with dealing with the cops where they felt they could just keep negotiating this stuff um, when dealing with the police and, uh, and keep telling the cops what you did is unjustified. Like, yeah, obviously cops love hearing that and respond very, very well <laughs> um, in those situations. But... Uh, I think I should have just set the stage of like, this is what's going to happen. These cops are going to, I should have just had it as like, there's no way you guys aren't getting detained. We don't need to have this long conversation with these cops. The question is going to be, um, how long are you detained for? Does that being detained turn into an arrest or does it turn into you guys are now on the run because you got into a actual like physical conflict with these cops? Like, and basically said, like, those are our three options. Kind of like, those are the only realistic ways this plays out. Choose the one you want to choose, but understand what that means. Mm -hmm. And I think that not flat out saying that got us into the, um, 
like a longer than necessary negotiation about it that just like really threw the logic, like the, the realism of it was supposed to be a situation of like, whoa, there's this crazy vampire. That part's unrealistic. And then we go back to the real world where like these cops are in disbelief and they're not sure what's happening. And now we have to deal with the real world again to later on get out of that and go into a haunted house. And I think if I had set those stakes early on and said, like, you either follow what these guys tell you to do, um, and depending on how that part goes, then you'll have to, like, negotiate, like, then you'll have to deal with, like, were you arrested or just detained, or you guys are going to be on the run, and at least the rest of this mystery, part of this issue will be that you are wanted by the police. Mm-hmm. And I should have set those stakes early on so that we knew what we were getting into. And instead we kind of fumbled around with it. And I wasn't crazy about the conclusion where in the end, they just kind of talked with you guys, but that was like wildly unrealistic. I tried to save it later on where I said that one cop that we said looked like Lance Henriksen, like just punched a dark blade in the face. And I was like, yeah, that's yeah. So that was one of those incidents I could describe the other stuff with the the old folks if you want, but it's the same basic thing of like, all right, the the real stakes here, if I had set them out in advance, I think would have been uh, better for then we were on the same page with here's what might go down. Yeah, so I know, um, I think, uh, oh my God, what's that game called? Oh, help me out here. Uh, that super crunchy like D and D one, Pathfinder, like D inspired one. No, that's like a story game. Oh, Is it God. Burning Wheel? That's the one. Thank you. Okay. So let me try that again. Burning. I know in Burning Wheel. Um, oh, uh, off the top of the dome. I knew it absolutely, <laughs> very quickly. Um, I know in Burning Wheel they uh they have this thing that I tried to. I've never played Burning Wheel, but I tried to keep that in the back of my head where before you make any part of that system is it before you make any kind of role um the gm and the player kind of just like you just said like vocalize the stakes like oh before so we understand we're on the same page about if you fail this is going to happen if you succeed this will happen like um in a situation like that with the police like hey if you're going to try and fight them you're going to be a cop killer or whatever and be wanted for the rest of your life or, you know, I don't know what the other shake would be, but uh, you, you kill them and, and get away scot-free. So I'm like, you know, you set them up very, you know, distinctly before you even make the roll. That's a tool that they kind of uh, popular, popularized that I try to, if not, if not always do it, at least keep it in the back of my head. So. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that, I think that would have just been more helpful because there were scenes where we were kind of negotiating these and it, if it had happened in advance for the recording, we could have cut all of that out. And so then the leftover stuff would have been easier. Or if at the table and you're not recording it, you go in knowing that and you don't have to have, you don't put yourself in a situation of like, oh, okay, well now they've, we've been negotiating this thing so long that people don't want to give up the points that they've made. Like, and by mm-hmm. point, I mean like, like, I made a good point and I think I made a good point and I don't want to just say, oh, never mind. I guess you're right. Because yeah. just out of a pride issue. So like go talking about that stuff beforehand and then starting the play, I think works out 
um, pretty, pretty well works out probably better. Didn't follow that advice, but I think that would have been a better idea. Yeah. And then, um, also in, in the, uh, when we played fate in the lost, the lost sessions, which may eventually be released of avatar, the last airbender. Um, one thing that they kind of put forward in there in that system is, I don't know if they use the, these exact terms, but the way I framed it at least was like the writing room stance and the, you know, the actor stance. And I think in that game, a, a few times at least, I was like, all right, let's go, let's all go back into the writing room for a second. And on a like meta kind of a arm's distance length uh, view of this, um, I think that the cops here would not allow this to happen. Like they, they might just try to kill you or something. Like they're not going to listen to reason. I don't think the characters can really say anything at this point. Like, what what do you? How do you think you would react to that? We had we had that issue actually in the soft game, and also with mm. a cop when, mm -hmm. we, uh, when we had that weird swamp demon monster abduct <laughs> the sheriff of the town, and then we were trying yeah. to negotiate with him. And I cut a bunch of that out, but it was took a lot longer for us to figure out. Yeah, <laughs> like we didn't know we had arrived at a point where this guy was just flat out, not down. He wasn't going to listen to us at all. Like talking was done. Um, at that point, he was too freaked out, too scared. There was no way to, to, to talk it through with him. I think that like setting those stakes and kind of making sure that you're on the same page helps again. A lot of times you think, Oh, we're all playing the same game. So we all know what's going on ends up not being the case and uh at times it might be good to when you're starting a new scene say like just ask you know like what do you want to accomplish with this what do you want to accomplish with this stuff like ask what the goal is i i do this i go to i go to punch him what's your what's your goal here are you really trying to trying to beat the hell out of this guy you're trying to kidnap him you're trying to do what's what's your goal with this long like what's the medium term goal not this second but where do you want to be in with this larger action yeah that's actually a really good point of just uh trying to get some clarification from the player of like and what what's the actual goal here what are you trying to what are you trying to do and you can kind of rearrange the the narrative or the expectations based on that that's always that's kind of a writer's room kind of thing, but way simpler <laughs> for sure. I think if you do that in advance, you can be as a GM, as a person running the game, you can be more harsh. Mm -hmm. I think that there's always, and I ran into this several times where it felt like you guys in uh, monster of the week as in so many other games went into situations where it's like, you're fighting an invincible demon. And yet just everybody got a, came out of the stuff and you have so many like luck points and this stuff and that stuff. But it, it went to the point where I just flat out in that fourth mystery, Lee says, I can't die. So I'm just going to jump in front of these things. I can't die because I'm blah, blah, blah. And he kind of just said the quiet part loud <laughs> um, of like, and what I should have done was just set out those consequences in advance and say like, okay, uh, in the fourth mystery, there's a period where Addie Zems is possessed by that demon and she's mm -hmm. holding Darkblade's mom hostage. And she says, okay, um, like you guys need to leave. You need to go away. And that way, and I'll let your mom 
let your mom live. But if you guys don't get the hell out of here, I'm going to kill her. And I should have just said, of course, they tried to negotiate the whole thing and the deal changed a little bit. But what I should have said was, you know, like the situation going on, like one of these two people is going to die unless you follow these instructions. You can follow these instructions, then try to redeal with this situation a different way. But if you're just going to stay in this room and try to tackle her or shoot her or do this or do that, <laughs> one of these two people's going to die. And I should have just put that out there and said, it doesn't matter if you get a 12 or a 14 or whatever. One of these two people is dying unless you do what she says, come back and reattempt this in a different way. Like, I think that setting those stakes up in advance allows you to be more harsh, essentially, and create that feeling, sometimes better create that feeling of tension and fear of like, okay, I, I don't have anywhere else to go. I do have to back off. I do have to retreat. I can't just say I'm not, I can't die and leap at stuff. Um, <laughs> I can't just say like, I blast him with my shotgun, like all the time. Yeah. And I went out of my way to not read the the GM section of the uh, Monster of the Week, so I wouldn't backseat GM, which I think I failed at, by the way. But um, I think usually in the Power Valley Apocalypse one uh, games, there's a like a GM move that's something like uh, give them the the consequences and ask something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Or I think um, and GM moves you can basically use whenever you want, uh, like the soft moves especially. But just kind of uh, one of these two people are going to die here. Like, which one are you going to save or something is a completely legitimate based on the system question to ask the players, which is like, oh, fuck, I don't know. And they can't come back with, well, I try to negotiate. It's like, nope, that's not the question, buddy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those the GM advice sections in most of the powered by the apocalypse world games that are like fully fleshed out games that aren't beta tests or like uh, that kind of thing, like the obviously apocalypse world, but also masks and this game, the GM advice is actually very good. The problem with it is not that the advice isn't very, very good. The problem is problems are remembering to use it and follow yeah. the advice is always the big thing. Cause you get in the middle of what you're doing and then it all flies out the window. Cause you're focused on like what's happening right now in the game. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, some of it has to almost be decoded or you have to see another person do it in action to know what's going on. And you can read, um, it's Vincent Baker, right? Yeah. Vincent Baker's yeah. Vincent Baker's description of how fronts work and that kind of stuff. But without seeing that in action or like watching some kind of tutorial that becomes very, very tough. And uh, a lot of times it's like, well, I'm not going to worry about that because it seems like paperwork. But yeah. that advice can be pretty darn useful. And um, a lot of the stuff we're saying is basically like, hey, follow the advice that the person that made the <laughs> game suggested you follow in the book that you're using to run this game. Yeah, I know in uh, the second edition of Apocalypse World, they completely redid fronts too. They're totally different now. I didn't 100% understand them the first time through. I, yeah. well, If we ever do they Apocalypse be better. World with that newer one, we'll have to check it out, yeah. Um, but were, were there kind of what's the equivalent of fronts in Monster of the Week? It's called the oh man, it's called like a setting clock. Mm, okay, let me 
look at that right now, actually. Because um, I know they were so, quote unquote, popular, those clocks that they made. Like, there's that whole other, uh, what, like Knives in the Dark or something? Blades in the Blades in the Dark? Oops. Mm -hmm. Never played it, obviously, but uh, that's a really popular game that they took that and just like, well, everything's a clock now. Yeah, this one is called the... The Countdown. It's called a countdown. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it starts with dusk, then sunset, nightfall, and then midnight. And the idea mm -hmm. is that if the players, and this works better for like a... It, again, this, this game I think is more intended for the mysteries to run faster than we did. Um, mm -hmm. But it's basically like if the players don't stop or interfere with what the monster is doing, this is what will happen. The monster eats one person. Then the monster eats another person. Then three days down the road, people are so terrified they start to leave town and it's becoming like a ghost town. And then this monster moves on to another area. And then that like that. And then mm. the last thing is like it, 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 it breeds and there's like there's more of the monsters, that kind of thing. So I saw critters. I understand. Uh, mm -hmm, yeah. So it, it the idea is this is how things are going to get worse based on this monster if the players don't do stuff. And then when the players do something to interfere with that progression, you're supposed to go back and then adjust those timers and say like, okay, well now, um, and I can give you an, an example of that in the very first mystery in our game, um, depending on how certain things went, the city was going to hire a big game hunter. Mm -hmm. And um, that big game hunter was going to try to be hunting this werewolf and so then it was going to be an issue of two things. One, that this big game hunter would be interfering with the stuff you guys were doing because you were trying to capture it alive while he's trying to kill it. And then the other thing is, is this guy just going to get killed too? And then the city really has to like reckon with what's going on of like, okay, this is a person who should have been able to handle this and they got eviscerated by whatever this was. And uh, maybe now we need to up whatever we were going to do from there. And it interferes with people's like lives even more so. But first of all, what's I, a I werewolf? Forget. I only know what were panthers are. You're right. Secondly, really cool. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, that had been my idea, but we didn't get to that point in the thing. So that person was never called upon by the city. So that character who had an awesome name that I'm going to use later for something. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, and was Don John Rask. Don, it was kind of a Don John. Uh, he was more of a Muldoon from Jurassic Park esque character. Mm. Uh, but yeah, but yeah. So that's how those countdowns work there. And um, I think that setting the stakes in like smaller actions that the characters are doing can benefit from some of that same thing of like, okay, you know, you guys are you guys have beaten up these old people and made a huge ruckus in this like retirement community to the neighbors. You broke into these people's houses, beat the hell out of them and are kidnapping them. Like you are basically um, like you are basically just creating NRA ads right now uh, based on your actions. <laughs> so like, like, don't let this happen to your family. So like, <laughs> so all of these neighbors see this, they know what's going on. They saw you do it here's how this needs to now go. Like, are you going to just get the hell out of here? And, um, 
like be on the run? Are you going to turn yourselves in and have to negotiate with the police once you've turned yourselves in? But there's no way you're not getting arrested for this thing. You did just beat up these old people. Um, and so now you risk the worry of that. Do you instead like, and so I think setting those stakes that way would have been a better way for me to have done that. Um, than just kind of running into like, Oh, well, I don't want them to have to do this, but it also feels unrealistic if I don't address it. So I kind of hemmed and hawed over it and it would have been better to just deal with it early on. Yeah. So I guess, um, so I said at the beginning of this, um, every kind of game that has problems, you can relate or trace it back to tone. But actually, if you take a step past this, I think I'm realizing right now, it's really just a, like communication, I guess. Mm -hmm. the, I think in the our root of think, all relationships. Yeah, I think in our first uh, GM advice about L5R, it was like, well, so what we're saying is it's a negotiation at the table. Like we constantly yeah. came back yeah. to that refrain. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, I think uh, what we keep coming to is in, in this one too, is um, maybe just if you if you as the, the GM or the keeper in this case are thinking of a certain thing, or like a certain problem, like whether it be a tone issue or a stakes issue or something, like kind of just don't be afraid, especially if it starts to deviate from what you're thinking, to just tell the the players like, yeah, okay, but I had, I think this scene, I kind of had the idea that it's going to go this way. Are you guys okay with that? Because that's kind of where I still wanted to go. How's that sound? Yes, good. Everyone good? All right, let's keep going. Yeah, and if they're not okay with it, then just kind of negotiate from there and see what could make sense for the tone that you're overall trying to go with. Cause you're t in the end collectively telling a story. So you want that story to make sense, but you want it to also be collective. So if the other folks aren't on board for that, try to, then that's when that negotiation comes into play and it's better to happen before the scene goes on than to be in the middle of the scene and be like, oh, well, now we did this stuff. And if we back off of it, we're either going to have to say, never mind, and go back to the start of the scene. And that's that stinks. Or feel that we're pushed in this other direction or feel like, OK, well, I had to abandon this stuff. So doing it beforehand is definitely the better option. Yeah, as the, the person running the game, it I think you, uh, you know, generally you feel like the, the pressure of I have to tell a good story and this is my audience, these players, but um, it's, it's hard to get out of that habit, but to be like, well, these are actually the actors and I wouldn't give them, you know, one, one page of the script at a time. I'd be like, well, this isn't really how the movie is. Uh, let me, let me give you some more context and then let's do it again. Like that kind of thing, you know? Yeah which is so hard to train yourself not to do for sure. Right. Because you want to surprise people. I think in mm -hmm. some games, the surprise element works. If you're going through the map of a dungeon and it's like, Oh, boom, that was a trap door. Motherfuckers. There's yeah. goblins on the other side. Like that kind of stuff works. But if what you're going for is this kind of story element or there's an, it's, it's better to reveal that. Um, it's better to say like, okay, you know, you're going into this dungeon that's filled with traps and you're not sure what's going to be in front of you or not there. Um, and you, you, every step is going to be dangerous. That's better to say than, than not. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think the default is always kind of, a keep them in the dark, but mm -hmm. once you run into any kind of problem, just like, mm, actually it's kind of like this. 
I think you can have those big reveals in a cliffhanger kind of a thing, because then from there you could say like, okay, well, before the next session, we can talk this stuff through and say, all right, it turns out um, uh, the guy you thought was the, sh uh, the prince of the city was actually um, a Sabat infiltrator who had used his illusion magic to trick everyone. Oh, the real prince has been missing for weeks. And you find that out at the end of the session. And then you can negotiate with it of like, okay, well, so all those deals I made with the prince, are they not valid anymore? Are they this? Are they that? You can talk that stuff through and get on the same page with the players in advance of them having to run through that stuff. But you could still have had that reveal of like, haha, it's really I, evil Count Draculaur, or whatever the hell the name is. <laughs> Probably Draculaur. Yeah, I assume he's also a cyborg of some kind. Draculox. Uh. Um, but yeah. Speaking of that crazy name, do you have, do you have more stuff on, on this one that you want to get into, you think? Um, no, that was pretty good. Okay. Um, well, speaking of Draculor and Draculox, uh, and wanting to, well, again, by the time this comes out, this will have been long, long forgotten. Um, the McElroys will already have released several additional best-selling books. But I was reading that criticism of the the Adventure Zone graduation, the criticism mm -hmm. of, of that game. And I wasn't crazy about that article. I felt that article couldn't decide what it was critiquing. If it was critiquing like um, the McElroys generally, like so, like social justice issues and how they do or don't address it, um, issues of inclusion. But then they also got into like aspects of running the game that were much like very specific for people who play and run these games. And I was like, who the fuck is this article for? One of the critiques was, and they addressed it on the the, the Adventure Zone, was the number of NPCs. And mm -hmm. the, the author of that article said, like, there were so many NPCs that people felt like it was just like they were just shoveling them on, that Travis McElroy was just shoveling these people on. And I'll say, in our L5R game, we had a shitload of NPCs. Mm -hmm. In this game, you guys also had a good number of NPCs. Um, for each mystery, the Monster of the Week manual encourages you to create a list of characters that'll be important to this mystery. You can reuse them, and I definitely did reuse them. That was why I would rather you guys like meet a person and talk to them than get just the information on your own. So one of the reasons why it bothered me that Alex's character early on kept being like, oh, I go on the internet and look it up. Like, mm -hmm. okay, that's lame, because now there isn't like a go-to person who can be like, I'm an expert on the occult. I'm a professor at the local college and like, then we can go to them and then they can have something they ask you to do, or they could get in trouble. That kind of yeah. deal. That, that playbook is kind of interesting there because it kind of sets, sets them up to do that. But I don't know if they want you to make like sweet, like cyber matrix S we had, uh, we had people or what we had one who was like dragon. It was like dragon slayer, dragon, dragon killer, 60, 666 or something like that. And uh, but we never came back to it. Um, I think that there's a few things that you could do with NPCs if you're running a game. Uh, oh, oh, real quick before you get into this, I, I brought up the uh, our little uh, I don't know player share document here. Uh -huh. And in the last one, there were 28 people listed, although some of them died, and at least one of them was a joke. So mm -hmm. that's about how many we we're working with. And I don't think we dealt with all of them in that particular mystery, but. 
28 is a, a sizable number of people for yeah. sure. I think it was probably more than that because there were probably additional folks who just didn't make their way onto that board mm -hmm. or onto that document. So, but even if it was 35, 40, that's still like a good chunk of people that I think mm -hmm. for some people, you know, folks will say, oh, you know, I'm bad with names. It's hard for me to remember these characters. It's hard for me to kind of get all this stuff through. And that definitely happens. I like to consider myself a person who has a fairly good memory. But when we were playing um, a Dungeon World game, there was an evil cleric, and I could never remember his name. I don't know if you remember that uh, from our Dungeon World game. No. The one that you ran? The one you ran. No, I typed the name into the little chat thing. Um, um, yeah, oh, so right. I, could, I could not remember that character's name at all. And so I kept screwing it up and keep being like so and so, like saying the wrong name over and over again and having to be corrected. Um, similarly, in the L5R game, there would be times where someone would be like, uh, what's his name? The Scorpion Boy. And it's like, that does not help yeah. in the slightest. <laughs> this is a city full of these characters, you know, like a bunch of these people. Um, so I think some ways to keep the characters straight in the players heads is to do things that we are, I will not be the first to suggest these, but you typed them up mannerisms and voices. Mm -hmm. If you can have a character that stands out because of their mannerisms, the way they speak, their particular voice, it's easier for the characters to kind of remember them. Um, the tools that we used for the L5R game was since it was run from a module, we had just a big book of all these characters with, like drawings of them and little descriptions mm -hmm. that seemed like it could be cool, but just like the Google doc that we had for this uh, monster of the week game, it becomes homework for people to every time they hear the name of a character search through that Google doc or search through that book and be like, Oh, got it. He's the guy that works down at the wharfs. Who's kind of suspicious or, Oh, this is, um, the lady who was targeted by Alan Graves in the second mystery, Lauren Wells. Um, if, or Walls, I think was her name actually. But yeah, so I think those things can be useful, but just at the same time, they can be a hindrance because it pulls the players out of the game and now they're looking this shit up. Similarly, we ran into yes. that with... Um, <laughs> I was definitely the uh, <laughs> guilty of that for sure because I was the one... Cause I'm so I'm more of a visual person and also I'm bad at remembering what actors look like. So whenever you um, brought up an actor's name, like this, this character looks like this actor. I'm like, who, hold on, let me look that up. And I was like, well, since I looked it up, I'm going to copy it and put it into this document. And, and that's, that and took me away from it for like at least a minute of every time. Right. And that, I think, um, I think a way that I could have better done that would have been to, put that stuff in there later on, but still describe the person. So if I'm saying, oh, this person looks like, um, I think we said Roberta Hellinger was played by Kirsten Ritter. The star. Kristen Ritter, yeah. Kristen Ritter. Of Jessica Jones. Of Jessica Jones. And uh, the Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment C or whatever that show was called. Yeah. Movie was called. Um, instead of just saying, imagine if, if she were played by an actress, she'd be played by Kristen Ritter. Instead of saying that, also describe the person and maybe describe the person at first 
and say, maybe this person would play them. So now we've got that idea of generally what they look like um, and kind of maybe describe their, their mood, the mood that comes off of them rather than um, just saying an actor, because there were a lot of situations where if you don't know who this particular actor is, that's not super helpful. Then you want to look the person up or we have to have a long discussion of like, oh yeah, she was also in Jessica Jones and she was in that uh, one thing, blah, blah, blah. She John related to John Ritter, like that <laughs> kind of a deal. Uh, I, I will say, uh, so running Doyce um, on roll 20 so that the, similar to this, I guess, so that the players also have like the visual component to it. Um, this is some bad advice possibly, but I have before the game happens, looked up like art or something that represents the characters that are going to be uh, represented, you know? So it will occasionally take me like, well, that I need to find the, the best gnome that really captures this character based on, I'm going to go through all of Pinterest for 45 minutes. It's like, well, this is the best one, I guess. So it adds so much garbage time to it but at least for me as a visual person i do appreciate that um when they uh this character is introduced and just like click a button this is what they look like so that's some added homework to the already overworked uh person playing or running this game but that's something i've i did in doyce at least which i don't know if i'd suggest that to anybody um a thing that can work a thing that works, I think, kind of just fine at the table, but if you're recording it, it extra doesn't work, <laughs> is just using other characters. Um, just straight up saying, like, hey, uh, you know, this guy is the blob. Like, mm -hmm. one, of these, one of these trolls comes out, and it's the blob. Just every time you've imagined the blob from X-Men, it's that guy. And just, and even to make it easier, even just say, like, they call me blob. Or whatever the hell and so that now the characters know what the deal with it or the players know what the deal with this character is because they already know of this other character or if you say you know this person is um i'm trying to trying to think of another good one that's not just so crazy but it's like all right you've got um scorpion and sub-zero show up like you can do that stuff and if you're just doing it at the table and not recording it my suggestion would be don't have those characters be important characters mm -hmm. but if you just want to call them scorpion and sub-zero so that you remember who these characters are that's fine um in uh on the one shot podcast they'll regularly have characters who are just they'll be like oh this is ryan lochte like the famous swimmer um, this person is, and they'll have names of like celebrities. Those play, those characters are never important. The thing you don't want to do with that is have a character be really important and have them be like, hi, I'm Keanu um, Reeves. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm John Wick. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, okay. John Wick shows up and you can say like, this character is very reminiscent of John Wick and moves in a similar way and does these things. Don't have them literally just called John Wick, even mm -hmm. if it's easier to remember. Um, I was a little bit annoyed that Mr. Heck was so associated with Harry Heck from the Punisher stuff. And that was the original like vibe that we were supposed to get from him. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like that we took the vibe that we were supposed to get and also used the name. Like, mm-hmm. I think we should have done one and ditched the other. So like, okay, he looks a lot like this guy, but his name is something else. I liked the naming convention with the demons where it's like they all have like euphemistic swear words as the names they regularly go by. Mm-hmm. But um, I wasn't crazy about that because that would be like, like, who's the bad guy in this? Oh, the bad guy's Darth Vader. The bad guy's Wolverine. The bad guy's Mr. Sinister. Like that kind of thing of like you borrowing something else, I think can work when it's supposed to be a joke or a throwaway thing. If it's supposed to be important, this is supposed to be your game that you're putting together. If you're doing a X-Men game, of course, Mr. Sinister showing up is fine. But in a game where you're creating your own characters and your own world, having Cyclops and Jean be there or Darth Vader doesn't, it might be funny for a second as a gag or something to throw away, but if they're important, that's a bad plan. So that's Hmm. the thing to avoid. Yeah, I don't know. I don't mind that as much, but I can definitely see how it be how it could get distracting for sure, or maybe diminishing. I guess. Yeah, I, the word. I don't. I don't think it so much as distracting. I do think that it diminishes from the originality of the world that you're trying to cre- create mm-hmm. when the bad guy is um, Lex Luthor. So yeah. Jessica Lore was supposed to be a Lex Luthor like character. Oh, I thought she was Jessica HBO. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Of the, I, the cinematic never, connected universe. Oh, I never made that connection. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, I, I was basing her on Lex Luthor and like, what if Lex Luthor and all his smarts and all these things was just getting manipulated and he couldn't figure that out because he assumed he's the smartest guy around. He couldn't be possibly manipulated. Um, but if I had just called him Lex Luthor, that would have not been a great plan. It would have undermined yeah. the the idea that this is a character in this world. And I don't think it would have been distracting. It just would have hurt the tone in a lot of ways of the of the thing that we're creating because it would have been like this part isn't original. Yeah, I agree with that. It's kind of more of a like if you if she was just a Alexandra Luther or something, mm-hmm. you know, that would be a. First of all, too many Alex's in this game to begin with. But yes. secondly, um, yeah, that would be kind of a more of a tongue in cheek more than probably what you were looking for. Yeah. And again, as a silly mean. character, it could work. But so my advice for names before I forget this. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was watching some reviews of old um, D&D modules and like the mm-hmm. village of Hamlet and even some of the against the cult of the reptile God stuff. And they talked about like in the modules, not being provided with names for some of the NPCs where it just says like the inn is like, here's a description of the inn and the innkeeper is there. And here's a description of him, but there's no name. And how some people, the reviewers talked about like, sometimes you don't want to come up with this big name for NPCs for each mystery. I usually, came up with some kind of mechanic for how to figure out the names of the NPCs. Hmm. Um, the Everybody who worked for the lore corporation, though that wasn't a mystery, but like everyone connected to it, security guards and all of the executives and other people, I just all named, named them after ex, ex-girlfriends. Mm-hmm. So I would change up their names and sometimes turn like a female name into a male name if it's a male character and switch that up. 
Um, so that was one thing that I did. The second mystery with the witch, I had based that on Skeleton Key and that movie Unfriended or Friend Request. I forget. I think Friend Request, the Blumhouse horror movie. Mm -hmm. And so I just took characters that might be corollaries from those and changed their first name to keep the same initial and then just used a last name of somebody I work with. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so then like, okay, so it's not Lizzie so-and-so it's Lauren walls. Hmm. So if I work with a guy whose last name is walls, Lizzie starts the now change it to Lauren. Now it's a new, now it's a new name. So I think that that kind of stuff can work out as like a way to find names for these characters and generate them quick, quickly rather than like have to utilize a name generator um, and can give kind of a theme also to the names of the characters to go along with what you're doing. Yeah, that's a good point. And there's also a lot of tools too. Like with modern settings, it's a uh, interesting um like that's a really good idea to kind of theme them so you keep them straight in your head at least like how you did it but there's also um you know if you're doing fantasy or something there's that i think it's like the there's some free document you can just google i think it's like the role-playing game name pamphlet or document or something i'll you austin will obviously do the homework and link it in the show notes don't worry about it but uh <laughs> there's a they break it down by each culture and like different themes. It's like scary people. And it just gives you, you know, like 20 or 50 or something different names or um, medieval um, Transylvanian names or something, you know, and they break it down. Uh, that's a really good, I have that PDF saved for sure and have used it many times. You, you were doing a thing in some, um, you and I were having a conversation about the names in the of the orcs in the the orcs and the half orcs in the most recent episodes that came out. We're recording this on June twelfth. Uh, of don't Doys. tell them <laughs> <laughs> they can't know about the before times. Uh, but yeah, they you had said like you added on the like the monikers for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, all the anchorites, the half orcs that were the worshiping Talos had they in the module itself, they had they all had names, but I felt they didn't really ascribe much uh personality to them. And you, they were kind of all interchangeable. So I kind of tried to uh you know, a personality and then added the monikers on that, like Granic became Granic the Green, because I thought since he's the one the module kind of set up he was on doing this ritual. Maybe he's more like a druid. Maybe, uh, therefore, he, you know, is more in touch with nature. So he's the green. And I think I described him having like a plant and greenery in his hair and stuff. So it's almost yeah, I, like making fun of him. But I think he you almost said like, like a big pile of moss. He looks like a big pile of moss if you don't, if you look at him too quick. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I, I thought think, that that was a good idea. I think I had Yargoth or Yargoth the chief or something was his moniker, even though there's no official leader, that kind of thing. Oh, and Moesco the Heartless was the other one who literally the only thing about him is that he removed his heart. So I'm like, well, that's easy. Yeah, but that stuff that stuff can help because 
each if each time you say you know Granick the Green, it gives us a heads up of who this person is. Um, if people have ranks or that kind of stuff, um, or titles, like if a person is a doctor, rather than just saying their name, like say Doctor So and So, like you know, okay, well at least I know this person is a doctor, and we've only encountered one doctor, so it's got to be So and So. Um, and just kind of using things like titles or, um, I, I called them monikers. What would you call what you did with those orcs? Oh, there's a term for that. It's a, it's an epithet. Something. Yeah. I always, I always confuse epitaph and epithet, but it's, a uh, um, Austin, the funny, you know, like the something or Alexander, the great is gotcha. like what that word means. And the other one is something you put on your gravestone. I always confuse I think, those two words. I think an epitaph. Anyway, but yeah, so I think epitaph <laughs> is what goes on your grave gravestone. Okay. But they, um, I think those are super useful. In the L5R Ryoko Wari setting, all of the commoners had their actual name and their actual like Japanese name and then a nickname that basically described them and was often like their job. And yeah, I, that was never, awesome. I never took the time to uh, translate what those were, if they were actual translations. Like the, there was a guy who was like the best carpenter, like the best guy known for construction in the area. And his name was Builder. Like he just went by Builder. And that isn't insane if you think about like even medieval European names um uh but then he had a japanese name and i wonder if it was just builder in japanese mm. or if it was like oh this is just his personal name his name is greg but he goes by builder especially because samurai don't want to have to bother learning the actual names of all of these commoners that are around them so yeah. like this this guy goes by subtle this guy goes by sharp this guy goes by um bigger because he's just a big guy, like that kind of stuff. And so yeah, I, I, I thought that was really cool. That stuff could work. Um, a thing that I think could work more is if you are using names that can be translated. So in the L5R game, some of the characters had names that were like something cool in English, but translated into Japanese. So like Bayushi Saigo, I think means like last breath or something like that where it's like mm. oh because this guy's such a badass get ready to take your last <laughs> breath before he kills you right the problem was if you're gonna do that don't have that be like i think important to a mystery or anything like that have it be like oh i'll just tell you and this way you know this character's supposed to be a badass and you can remember maybe this name because you're like oh i'll remember that in japanese this means <laughs> Um, so she Serioku like had some aspect of her name that meant something about like, like power or something within that. Um, so that stuff can work, but don't have that be like the, haha. My, my reveal was that in Japanese this means this. Hey, hey, hey. that mystery can get really <laughs> screwed up because someone can just Google it and see if it means anything. Uh, and B, if they, it's just gonna come off lame. Where it's like, what was in my pocket, Golem? Like that kind of deal. like, like, okay, yeah. that's not. That wasn't a mystery I could have really figured out. Um, and if I had figured it out, it would have blown the the door off the hinges as to like, oh, Rodiart. Wait a minute. 
when that's traitor backwards, that kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I don't, I might take the counterpoint of that. I don't, I don't think that's much of a problem. Like uh, in when I'm, when I'm writing stuff uh, like fiction or whatever. And when I'm playing role-playing games, especially I usually just do like, I try to find some kind of meaning for the name. And then if it's, if it's too obvious shrug, I don't care. It's like part of a name. So it's like, what, what a dumb coincidence roll. I roll. I don't care. Like that's totally fine. Like I made, Ashton Green, like Green, uh, unlike Granick the Green, I was like, oh, he's like a Green. He's a new recruit. If you get if you get the uh, thing I'm going for, that's fine. If not, mm. I don't care because that's a real name. I like, didn't. Also yeah. the uh, yeah the uh, I think I named his parents too. Um, I had Ron Carpenter was his stepdad, and I'm like Carpenter. That's like a dad thing. Carpenter is great. Um, also Ron, I was like. But I also kind of want to think or give the impression that he's kind of like dumb. Ron is a good normal name. But also I was thinking Ronald. He's clownish. Yep. Ron Carpenter. That's a name. I think his mom was Linda, which is just like the most uh, white suburban mom name I could think of at the time. So I'm like Linda Green Carpenter. Yep. Totally fine. And if you get if you get it, that's fine. But if not, especially with modern kind of names like that, I just kind of try to make a connection and the first one I get, I'm like, yep, that'll work. As long as it sounds like a real name, even if it's way too obvious, I think most people ne will never get it anyway. Yeah. Just like you just said. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Um, uh, as a fun little thing that I did for comedy purposes in that game that we played <laughs> with my cousins a long while back. The Dragon um, Balls one? No, not, uh, not Dungeons and Dragon Balls, but the um, I, I was, I should have called it cousin quest, but that was another thing. <laughs> oh, um, the no one. Yeah. Where Matt okay. played, Matt played a halfling named Herzl, mm -hmm. Herzl the quarterling. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where you were mad, mad, the half witch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In that game, one of the things I wanted to, I wanted to play up was the comedic potential for in a crazy fantasy setting in the way that your name is David and you encounter other people named David like we've uh -huh. had so many people named Alex involved in these games. <laughs> right. Of just be like, Thornash, Th where's Thornash? I'm here. You're not the Thornash I'm looking for. I'm looking for Thorn. <laughs> I'm looking for Thornash. And like bartender's like, what's up? My name you're is also Thornash. <laughs> uh, you're Thornash S. I was looking for Thornash B. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, Thornash was a pretty popular name about 40 <laughs> years ago. You remember that story that came out? The Thornash Chronicles? <laughs> yeah. And the chariot arrives and there's a license plate that says Thornash, Thornash's girl. <laughs> uh, yeah. Something like that. I thought that, that there was a lot of comedic value in that of uh, kind of a, we need more Bort license plates from the Simpsons yeah. aspect. Um, but I don't think that's a good idea in a non comedic for non comedic purposes. Like if there mm. were other people who are like, Oh, my name's Ashton too. If it's supposed to be serious, that's probably oh, not great. It, a bit in of Star Wars, right. you're not going to run into other characters <laughs> named Luke very often. Yeah, it, one of like a bit of writing advice too, which definitely applies to RPGs, is try to make as many, if they're main characters or even important side characters, try to make them as different as possible. Like, uh, if you had a character named Bart and another character named Bort, 
people are going to confuse them. It doesn't matter how different you make them. One's a juggling clown and the other's an army ranger. It doesn't matter because the names sound similar. You're going to mix them up in your head. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading um, George R.R. R. Martin's basically take on interview with a vampire fever dream. Mm-hmm. And Alex had warned me like, Oh, in his writing style, he gives a, this tremendous amount of backstory for everybody and their families and all this stuff. And I was like, Oh, well, since this takes place in the 1850s in the United States, he doesn't need to do that. Like, the, the history is the real history of the United States. So he doesn't need to get into that stuff. She's like, Oh, okay. I'm like, the thing he does do is even though this takes place on a steamboat, the thing that seems to be powering the steamboat is shoveling on more characters because it's just <laughs> like, like, all right, here's this vampire. Cool. All right. Here's these other vampires. The vampire lives with. All right, cool. Yeah. There's 20 of them. Like, Oh fuck. There's 20 of these goddamn <laughs> vampires in this one house of vampires. All right. Time to go to the steamboat. I'm the captain. Okay. Alongside me is my co-captain because we're partners in this venture. Okay. Here's the pilot who actually drives the ship, but you can't have one pilot. You've got to take turn. And I'm like, oh my God, there's so many of these people. Um, and he attempts to describe them a little bit, but sometimes they're like, and then he left and we don't see him again. Like, why the fuck did we name this guy? It wasn't important. Um, so I can see the names of lots and lots of NPCs overwhelming people. And I would say if a person isn't important, don't give them a name. To emphasize to the characters that this person isn't important, don't give them a name. Now, the moment the characters ask, what's your name? Have one. And now this character has become important. So, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's oh, almost I- like, good. I was going to, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say a trick that I use if it's uh, unimportant and people ask what the name is, I'm like, I don't care. What do you think? Mm-hmm. You name them. Although if you're playing with like an Alex or a lead, they'll say like poopy shorts, mm-hmm. which uh, then just say, that's not the tone we're going for. What do you, yeah. give me another one. <laughs> yeah. Um, now. Yeah. If somebody, if somebody want, I, I, I wouldn't say it that way. But, um, yeah, have this person around, and then later on they can come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that cop, one of the two cops in the bathroom battle ended up coming back as that Lance Hendricks-looking guy. And we never named him. But the fact that it was like, oh, okay, we can hearken back to this is the one of the cops that they got in a fight with in that bathroom. This is the one who showed up later and punched Alex in the – or not Alex. He, the real-life person uh, <laughs> punched Darkblade in the face. Um, later on when it was like, well, we need a cop to be a doppelganger. Oh, well, why not have it be this person? We already don't like them. And so mm-hmm. what? Yeah. Um, I think that that kind of stuff can work. Uh, I was going to make the reference to ninjas. How okay. in, in a movie Three ninjas ninja, or well, well, math becomes important in this in, <laughs> in a, in a, in a movie or a TV show where someone's fighting ninjas, the fewer ninjas they there are, the tougher that ninja is. Mm. So yeah, the, like, the inverse zombie ninja thing. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like, okay, here I am against Sub-Zero. You better watch out because Sub-Zero might rip your arms off. Here I am against a horde of ninjas. Okay, you're going to kick the asses of most of these ninjas. And um, like by making them nondescript, by having them not be important, 
they're throwaway. And so by having characters not be descriptive, they're just, it's a guard who's slouching up against, uh, up against the main gate to the entrance of the city. The doors are open uh, and people are kind of passing through. You let everybody know they don't have to interact with this guard, though there's a guard there. Whereas it's, if you... I mean, yeah. exactly like the minions, right? If you mm -hmm. see a hundred of them, it's just a sea of delicious Twinkies. Just one yellow death. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't understand the minions <laughs> I, at all. I'm neither an, I'm neither an old, I'm neither somebody's older aunt nor a child. So I don't understand <laughs> what the fuck is the deal with these things. But that's perhaps advice for another time. They're just ninjas with random number of eyes. It's fine. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and overalls. But, uh, you had one additional thing you said. How do players love them? Yeah. So um, there's um, a lot of advice, but I don't know if, if I buy any of it so much. But like, oh, there's always some, whenever game you play over any kind of period of time, players will just gravitate toward one or two or more if you're, lucky um, NPCs that they just love and they love every time they uh, come up every time you go back to them they'll suggest like what about this NPC what are they doing there's always a, a handful of NPCs in every game that either you love playing or the players love interacting with um, I was wondering if you or either of us have a I don't know if I have a ton but if you have any advice on how to make that happen because I feel there was definitely a few in this one. Um, the, the boring answer is know your players and their interests, mm -hmm. because I can tell you if I have a, like a, if I have a character who's like a cannon cop type situation, I'll know that Lee will like that kind of character. Um, and like, like that's, that's, that's someone that he'll often be interested in. Uh, but, to create characters that are like kind of memorable, they, they need to have personality. Like they need to have personality. They should likely have um, a motivation and they should connect with the player characters in some kind of important way. That can be just that they're the shopkeep who um, gives them information on the down low about what's going on in the criminal underworld. And they, uh, they're always real itchy. Lee had mm -hmm. a character in a game long ago um, who I remember this character because of the way he spoke. And we were playing the game via text, uh, like just on like an instant messenger kind of a thing. And uh -huh. so you couldn't do accents, but he, the thing about this character was he spoke so quickly that when Lee would type the dialogue, he wouldn't put spaces between the words. Hmm, interesting. And I thought that that was cool. And I still remember this character to this day when there were a lot of other characters that I don't really remember that much from mm -hmm. that game. Um, and again, I tend to have a pretty good memory, but that's the one that sticks out that I always remember from that game of just this person who spoke so fast that in written form, there's no spaces between their words. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Especially with someone who is real bad at voices. <laughs> um, personally, I, um, I often struggle with trying to figure out how to make them different and everything, but uh, I love the, I, I guess gimmicks like that are really interesting. How it, even if you can't, you know, make a, a perfect accent, just make them talk real fast or mannerisms yeah. like you were saying. 
have a character who have a character who they can't get a sentence out without swearing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you'll remember it because there's the one guy who's always like, oh, fuck, I don't fucking know, fuck. Like, mm-hmm. that's like where it's like, it's almost a nervous tick for them to just be swearing the whole time. That's crass in the extreme, but at the same time, you will remember that person if, unless all of your characters are like that, and then don't do that, obviously. But give them give them some kind of gimmick. Uh, the younger of the unicorn um, nobles, Shinjo, I don't remember his like first name, the son. Um, one of the things about him was he would always say one thing and then immediately propose something else where he would be like, well, these scorpions are always doing this, but of course then, and then he would kind of undermine what he said. And I thought that that could kind of work out for something, have characters be, you know, big and blustery and always bragging, um, do that kind of stuff, like give them some kind of, if you're, if, especially if you're not, you don't want to do a voice for them, give them some kind of defining characteristic that can make them easy to remember, even if they're not likable. And then if they're, because if they're not memorable, they can't be likable. Yeah. Is, is, is part of it. Like they have to be remembered to be liked or after otherwise it'll be like, and you remember so-and-so no comes back to, uh, that L5R game we ran years and years and or I ran years and years and years ago where there was that evil scorpion Shigenja and it was like, ah, I unmasked myself and it's me. Ha ha. And nobody <laughs> remembered the character. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, no shit. This is supposed to be this person who's been following you to the ends of the earth to get the revenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's a really good point. I feel like uh, some of the, the NPCs on this one, like I know for one, definitely use the cheat code of oh talking cat that's memorable like Matt yeah sure I, I actually i ran that by carl of hey if we do this you're gonna have to try to help me make it not a cartoon mm-hmm. uh, and i think we did an okay job with that because they were dealing with like serious subjects um but i was like this can't turn into like a miyazaki movie we're like <laughs> right. like and now phil hartman plays your talking cat you know um I assume you didn't plan most of that ahead of time, but I think we kind you kind of picked up that we all kind of loved him. At least I did was compelled by him, even though I don't think Ashen ever had one scene with him, but uh, I think we all kept coming back to him and I, I don't know how much that influenced you, but especially in that uh, the one mystery when I guess he, he died and then we were dealing with the, even the consequences or ramifications in the mystery afterward, the last one um, was super interesting. Like that was, for sure one of the best characters i i think uh i assume you kind of weaved him into the plot more based on how much we actually took to him which is always like also a good bit of advice too if you yeah. if you, if you get one of those npcs definitely oh i'll highlight them or you know use them more or whatever yeah and if a character and this this sounds shitty but uh and this is kind of vincent baker crosshair talk <laughs> like if there's characters that are important and that people really like they become motivating factors so if it was a character that no one had liked the decision of okay do we use this character and get rid of them in order to stop this beetle demon wouldn't have been as big of a thing like 
like, okay, well, the the fish, the fish, the Gilman row has to be sacrificed in order to do this. Okay, well, that's not a character, but it's an important thing to this character, but one that we hadn't seen on screen at, at that point. So would anybody really care, even if within the world of the story, that is a big deal, because theoretically, this is this one of a kind thing. Matlock ended up being kind of a confluence of all of the things of here's a distinct voice. They're a distinct character in that they are a talking animal leprechaun. <laughs> um, they were woven into Carl's character's story and Alex's character's story pretty significantly. And um, so not surprisingly, that character came up pretty regularly, whereas other characters who should have been just as important came up less often because they just weren't super memorable. Mm-hmm. So like Woker's wife, Julia, didn't come up anywhere near as often, though she is arguably just as important in that like Welker's family and the dynamic with the family was so important. Yeah. And like uh, one of the characters I took to personally, I don't know if, if the other players necessarily as much as me, but uh, Mirzad was super interesting for me. Um, just like from my perspective, like the knight in this corporate organization is super interesting or the magician yeah. or whatever. Um, so I, that's kind of why I made him my mentor. And I know you told me after the fact, like behind the scenes, he was supposed to be like a charlatan. Yeah. And, and I had, of, and I, Oh, I yeah, was going to, I, whoops, go ahead. I, I was oh going to say, don't be afraid to change a character based on if they become more important. Um, and so that's exactly knew, the point I was going to bring up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was initially supposed to be like a charlatan who was, in over his head with all this stuff and was supposed to just be like a weird clue to you guys that wait, Jessica lore is looking for like these specifically supernatural things and is going through all these different avenues where she even has this guy on board. Who's like, I am a psychic medium and mm-hmm. he's just a dude with a weird goatee and a bunch of rings. <laughs> right. um, and so, uh, but once it was like a, when that didn't get dealt with quickly enough, to reveal it later on what sounded kind of lame. And then once you were more into him, it was like, okay, well, especially if you want to make this change in your playbook, it doesn't make sense to have him be like, I'm a charlatan. Uh, you got to find that somewhere else. It's like, okay, maybe this yeah. guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe he is a wizard of some kind or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought that was super interesting. Like, and good advice for others. Just like, don't be afraid to, based on how players are reacting to your NPCs, don't be afraid to completely change them based around that. Yeah. I feel it always works for the best. An NPC that I think we kind of did a similar thing with that in uh, L5R was Lean Meat, where we had Lean Meat who like had made a deal with your character and um, Brandon's character to kind of help supply some information. And then once he was kind of given the it's okay to have um, this nobleman killed. He then wanted to back out because he got like afraid of what was going on. I thought that change-ups in NPCs can be dramatic if the person has like had some kind of connection with the PCs. Mm-hmm. So um, those changes can be effective uh, to make characters memorable. Another tiny piece of advice is and this works this this came from like dragon magazine or dungeon magazine years and years ago when they were doing their like gm 
Academy stuff. And they said mm-hmm. the first dwarf you meet shouldn't be the dwarf that breaks all the, all the stereotypes about dwarves. Mm-hmm. Like when, if the, if the PCs meet a dwarf initially have them kind of be exactly what they're thinking. And then later on, if you have a dwarf that is entirely different, that person really stands out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way, yeah, you don't, the, the first half work they meet isn't the poet. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, like that should come later on. And then that person stands out as the anomaly rather than. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like the, you don't understand how they're different until you see how, like the thing they're different from. Yeah. Any other big things you want to hit? No, I think that's pretty good. Hopefully we've advised uh, some some people out there. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, hopefully you've, know all the references we've made to the games that we've played on the show because you've listened <laughs> to all of them in that case. Thank Obviously. you, Jeffrey. Um, but yeah, cool. Well, signing off. I've been Austin and I've been David for this American dice. This American monster is a production of this American dice. This American Monster uses the Monster of the Week system, a game published by Evil Hat Productions and by Michael Sands. Sundry Charms is Lee. Chase Welker is Carl. Darkblade69 is Alex. Ashton Green is David. And your Game Master is Austin Smith. Our theme song is by Patrick Ross. It's called Sinlu.